Welcome to this episode of Refuge Radio, a podcast about the National Wildlife Refuge Association and the issues facing the largest system of public lands and waters. The National Wildlife Refuges protect important places from Alaska to the Caribbean and from the Atlantic to the far Pacific. I'm your host, Kristen Berry, coming to you today from the shores of the Missouri River in Washington, Missouri. As I sit here and look out over the river, I can't help but imagine Lewis and Clark and their expedition rowing past and thinking about what they must have seen as they headed west. As we prepare to celebrate our Independence Day, I can't help but also think about how important our wildness, our wild places, and our wildlife are to what is America today. If you'd like to join the conversation, you can email us at info at refugeassociation.org, tweet us at Refuge Wild, or comment on our Facebook page at Refuge Association. Today, National Wildlife Refuges form an important part of the fabric of the American landscape. None more important or more interesting than the last remaining marsh areas adjacent to Lake Pontchartrain, just a few hundred miles away from where I sit today. The Bayou Sauvage National Wildlife Refuge contains a wide variety of wildlife habitat, including bottomland hardwoods, freshwater and brackish marshes, lagoons, canals, pits, and natural bayous. An important stopover along the Mississippi Flyway, these diverse habitats meet the needs of approximately 340 bird species throughout the year. And increasingly, it's a place where people can go to find wildness near an urban center. On the call with me today is Dinah Maygarden. She's the Director of Coastal Education Programming at the University of New Orleans. Growing up in England, Dinah has always had a lifetime interest in nature, which we'll be speaking more about. As the Director of Coastal Education Programming, she's in charge of most operations at the Coastal Education Research Facility, or CERF, including coordinating with partner groups, planning activities for fund grant-funded groups, and maintaining the buildings, and so much more. So, uh, Dinah, welcome to Refuge Radio. Thank you very much for having me. It sort of sounds like you're the CWO, the Chief Whatever Officer uh, <laughs> of the Coastal Education Programming there at the University of New Orleans. Can you talk to us a little bit about how you came to uh, be in New Orleans? Well, I came to New Orleans a very long time ago, about 32 years ago, and I have worked as a teacher and um, in different aspects of environmental education and came to the University of New Orleans 20 years ago this year um, and have kind of developed over those 20 years this coastal education program um, through the Pontchartrain Institute for Environmental Sciences, which is um, both a research and education institute at the university. Hmm. Was that, uh, when you came there uh, 20 years ago, was, was that the idea? Was, was the vision of what, uh, what it would be already intact, or did you show up and, and create it yourself? I think it grew organically. Um, our director back then in 1997 um, obviously recognized the value of having um, a focus on education, Unfortunately, that's not always recognized, and so that was his vision. You know, give him credit for um, having uh, that vision to include education as as part of the uh, developing this research institute. Got it. It often gets missed in academia. So, <laughs> and yeah, right. Well, how about you personally? What brought you into the environmental or conservation field? 
I have, as you said a few seconds ago, always just been very uh, passionately interested in um, nature and the environment around me and the geography that surround me, um, just making observations are just part of who I am. And so wherever I happened to land, I think I would have um, figured out how to be a part of um, understanding the surroundings and um, educating people about the surroundings. So I happened to end up here in New Orleans, and um, that's what I've worked at for you know throughout my career. Really, is um, finding ways to be part of the story of explaining how this whole fascinating place works and um, getting out and being in the environment. So let's unpack that for a minute. I like that concept of explaining the story. What, talk a little bit about your involvement with refuges in the Southeast Louisiana National Wildlife Refuge Complex. Well, um, it goes back quite a long way, and I was trying to remember the first time I did anything with the folks at uh, Bayou Sauvage, but um, the, there have been several um, people in the position of supervisory ranger, I believe is the name of the position, who are uh, responsible for um, visitor and visitor education, I guess, and outreach um, and partnering with community partnership. And so I worked with three of those folks and um, one uh, man that was in that position, Byron Forchet, was there when Katrina happened and we go back before that, um, where we worked together to bring teachers and students to Bayou Sauvage. Um, and so it's kind of grown over the years. Um, there was another person in that position, in David Stoughton, who um, he uh, was very interested in community partnerships. So he reached out to a lot of different folks in the community and developed a lot of ideas. And he asked me to uh, work with him on um, develop developing some grant um, grant proposals and. So we got funding from the National Fish and Wildlife Foundation, where where I actually was the um, applicant and received the grant, but it's a uh, their partnership um, grants. So you had to have a whole list of community partners on your grant. So it that included working with U.S. Fish and Wildlife and Friends of Louisiana Refuges and a whole bunch of other people to um, work on education and um, and restoration and conservation related projects. Oh, that started, uh, we got our first grant in 2014. Um, that's kind of how we kind of dove into things very deeply. Um, so it helped to give us a, um, well, a source of funding always helps, especially when um, I work on, on grant-funded projects, so um, to have a source of funding really helps to be able to do the work. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's uh, there's no mission without margin. We often like to joke about <laughs> and and uh, you got to have the the funds and the resources to make it happen. So that's that to me is a nice segue to talk about. Uh, there there are there are challenges with working with public lands and and building relationships with with wildlife refuges. Can you talk about some of the challenges that 
that you've faced and overcome with your work with Bayou Sauvage and and maybe also talk about some of the opportunities. The folks that are listening to this program are, are likely hearing this and thinking this would, these ideas would be great for, for their refuge in their backyard. So can you talk a, a, a bit more or unpack for us the, the challenges and, and speak to the opportunities that, that you've seen in fostering your relationship with Bayou Sauvage? Sure. Um, so uh, my most recent grant uh, did run into some challenges because David who was the instigator, <laughs> well, went to another refuge. Um, so um, it, we kind of stumbled around trying to figure out how to move forward for a little bit. So that was definitely a challenge. But we, um, by working with the refuge managers and the new um, supervisory ranger, we picked up and we, you know, we've moved forward and and I think had a very successful project. So. Sometimes you do have hiccups like that as personnel changes happen. Um, and then, um, you know, partnerships, when you have, when you envision a partnership, it doesn't always quite work out exactly how you planned. Um, so sometimes you just have to, you know, allow time to, um, you know, develop your relationships it does take time to develop your working relationships. So um, now we've got this long history. I can look back and say, oh, you know, it just took this long to really get get um, things to work smoothly. Um, and then, um, so that's kind of the people end of things, you know, um, which are fairly normal people-related challenges. And then... Um, the refuges themselves are huge areas, of course, of um, sometimes quite inaccessible um, wetlands. So, for example, Bayou Sauvage Refuge is 26 plus thousand acres now. It, it's grown. Um, it's our uh, urban wildlife refuge, but it stretches out um, on the eastern side of New Orleans. Um, all of it is a, is within Orleans Parish, so it's within the city of New Orleans. But it's a huge area, even though it sounds like it's a city refuge. It's a very large area surrounded by water. So getting people to particular sites is, is can be quite challenging. Um, and so I, we've worked on those, those things. Um, actually, Bayou Sauvage is one of two really large refuges that wrap themselves around the eastern side and the northern um, shore of Lake Pontchartrain. And so Big Branch is the neighboring refuge. And so we've also kind of stretched out into Big Branch where we've, you know, if we feel that um, we can solve our access issues there better than at uh, Bayou Sauvage. Well, let's talk about those access issues for just a second. Do you think that uh, they're driven by the proximity of this refuge to a large urban center? Is that a positive? Is that a, a negative? I mean, how does, how does that work? It seems to me, um, you know, you've got something that a lot of refuges don't have, which is the ability to, to connect people with that refuge just because you've got the, the people there. Um, but Unpack for us a little bit about the access issues. Where, where, do, that, where do those come from, and, and uh, you know, how are you going about uh, working around those or mitigating them? Sure. Um, so definitely having two refuges that are 
within very easy traveling distance from really large population centers um, is a plus. Um, so New Orleans itself is, you know, Bayou Sauvage Refuge is in New Orleans, basically, if you just look at the um, the uh, political boundaries, it's within Orleans Parish. So um, that is definitely a plus. And then Big Branch is um, next to uh, Slidell and other population centers on the north shore of Lake Pontchartrain. Um, but um, I guess the access issues come in when we are having to travel by water because, as you probably know, New Orleans is surrounded by water on all sides and um, we um, get out into that water in different ways um, and canoes are one of them. Um, I, I have eight canoes on a trailer that I can easily hook up to a, a UNO truck and go meet people at a boat launch and put them in the water and off we go. Um, and that's great if your site that you're trying to get to is close enough um, to be able to paddle to in a short time. And um, then there are some other logistical things, like if you're planting a 2,000 Spartina plants, then you have to be able to load those into something. So then where we have run into issues is if our site that we want to take a bunch of folks to go plant, you know, 2,000 plants, is not accessible by canoe, then um, we need a motorboat or we need an airboat. And um, so um, we've recently been doing a bunch of, bunch of plantings um, where originally we kind of envisioned doing this in my use of our refuge. And we kind of ran out of places we could get people to um, because we needed, because airboats were actually the only way to get them to these certain spots. And it's not easy to line up an airboat. Um, you know, we don't have one. And the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service has some, but, you know, they're not. That takes a lot of logistics to get get an airboat, an access to an airboat. So we use, we've used um, smaller boats where we ferry people to a spot. And um, so we figured out the logistics. And I've been working with Common Ground Relief, who are another a major partner with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service to um, uh, kind of pool our resources. So if we each bring a boat, we can get more people out to a spot. Um, by, hook, by hook or by crook, it seems. That's uh, that's impressive, you know, the idea yeah. of restoration by canoe. Uh, yeah. an, old school, an old school idea in a, in a new school world. That's pretty neat. Well, yeah. from what you've, what, what you've said there, uh, it sounds like every time you've faced a challenge, you've uh, figured out how to work around it. Um, that doesn't happen in a vacuum. That doesn't happen alone. Um, but it happens with every community or uh, community group or academic institution that's trying to work a relationship with a, a refuge or a, a public land space. So what, what advice would you give to other community groups or academic institutions um, on how to create these partnerships? Is it is it all in the idea? Is it all in the relationships? Um, you know, what, what would you suggest to somebody who's looking to take on uh, uh, something that emulates the success that you're having there? I would say um, it's mostly in the relationships, um, def well, both ideas and relationships, but maybe equal parts or maybe a little bit more <laughs> the relationships. Uh, which sometimes take time to develop. Um, 
So you could have a great idea, but then ex- executing it requires that you have a relationship with, say, the refuge manager who can help you to um, get an airboat and go out. Um, I have to give credit to uh, the refuge managers who've been really helpful recently. Um, Danny Bro is the refuge manager, Big Branch, and Shelly Styers is the refuge manager at Bayou Sauvage, and they've both um, been helpful to you know, work with us. Um, I don't know if that's part of their, their job description or not. Perhaps it is. But, um, you know, we depend on those relationships to um, be able to move forward. And if they, uh, you know, if Danny's too busy, then, you know, I have to figure out how to do things without him. And so, you know, it's a case of really... Um, getting to know the people, um, giving it enough time to um, for those relationships to form so that they know who you are and you know them. So um, go meet and talk and look at maps. That's how I began with um, my most recent NIFWF project. Um, after, um, after David left, I went and sat down with Danny and um, the new um, uh, employee who had replaced David, Becky, and we looked at maps and we just kind of went over the ins and outs of how we were going to manage to do this project that we had a description of on paper, you know, um, which we then had to turn into an actual project involving volunteers and schools and people getting from A to B and all those good things. Well, I'm happy to hear that uh, it still requires a little face-to-face time to, to take an idea and see it to completion. I think that's important and and uh, an inspiration and a good reminder for all of us who spend far too much time in front of a screen and not enough time either uh, on these special places or, or talking to other people who care about them. Talk yeah, to us a little I, bit about – oh, go ahead. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, I think that's that's a super important point. Um you know, we, to, to execute these things, you have to get away from them. You have to get outside. You have to actually, you know, be together and um, talk to each other. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So what's on the horizon for uh, for your program and and uh, the connection with uh, Bayou Sauvage and the rest of the Southeast Louisiana National Wildlife Refuge Complex? Sure. So we um, are not quite done with our current um National Fish and Wildlife Foundation grant. We've um, planted thousands of plants um, in the refuges. This this one was focusing on the marshes, which um, you know the, involve planting grasses as opposed to trees. Our previous project involved a lot of tree planting, which is slightly easier. <laughs> so um, we've now solved all the problems that we had with access to get the the, the marsh plants out in the marsh and the people out in the marsh. Um, but we in, we also included monitoring of those areas. Um, and so uh, we're a little behind with that. Um, one of what we are pub, um, partnering with Public Lab, which is um, an organization that works on uh, finding ways to collect data uh, in using inexpensive materials and helping community groups to collect data about the environment. So the method that we're using is um, sending little 
uh, inexpensive point-and-shoot digital cameras up on a weather balloon. Not we keep we keep a hold of the weather balloon. We don't let it go. And so we send the camera up, and it it's taking continually taking photos of what's below it. And so we might be out in a canoe in the middle of the marsh with this weather balloon above us photographing our site. And so we've done the baseline photos of a couple of the sites, and we still need to get some more baseline data and then go back and um, do follow-up campaigns of photographing so that we can see um, the progress. And so we need to give the plants that we just planted a little time to get going so that we can monitor that they were successful, you know, whether they grew successfully or not, and whether we met our goals for um, positively impacting the marsh the way we said we wanted to. So, If somebody that, wanted to see those photographs, how could they go about doing that? Um, so Public Lab, um, at right this moment, I wouldn't do it because I haven't quite finished, but <clears throat> eventually. <laughs> so if you go to the Public Lab website, which I believe is publiclab.org, they have free, um, they have wonderful, very imaginative ways of um, doing all kinds of things. But um, one of the things, what I do with these photos is stitch them together using a, um, a, a an open source um, com- program that they have on, at public, on, on the public lab site called MapNitive. So... Basically, you just kind of stick the, stick your photos together to make a cohesive um, aerial photo showing your whole area. And um, it's low um, altitude, so you can see a lot of detail. And it's amazing that these cheap cameras can actually um, create these amazing, amazingly de- detailed images. So I'm working on putting those together. That's the other thing. Um, so eventually, we will have images, before and after images of our sites. Um, that's, that's what my goal is very soon. Um, I have a workshop ne- coming up next week with teachers, a different project, but in Bayou Savage Refuge, we'll be going to explore the refuge um, as a teaching a place for um, bringing students in the school year and teaching about the wetlands around New Orleans. So um, that's kind of a different near-term goal. I love that idea of leveraging low-cost technology to accomplish that goal. That's that's very cool. Um, what's you know you, you mentioned that you've got this this uh, this group of teachers coming out. You you work with students and undergraduates. Can you can you talk about your most memorable experience of of working with these people to to accomplish your goals? Um. Well, I have a lot of memories. <laughs> um, so uh, I love bringing uh, college students out to um, the refuge. And this spring, each year, um, each spring, we have a group from Long Island that comes down um, on their spring break um, stewardship um, service learning trip. So um, this year, this spring in March, we went out and did the balloon photography and actually that was the second year so we've done two years of that now and um do you use the do you use the balloon because drones aren't allowed on the refuge 
that's one of the reasons, yes. Um, yeah. A lot of people say, well, why don't you get a drone? Wouldn't it be a lot easier? Um, but, yes, that's one. Um, and plus, we um, don't have a large budget. So <laughs> it's both inexpensive and we're able to do the uh, get the aerial images in the refuge without um, using the drone. So, um, Very cool. So the yeah, it's just the visuals of having that big red balloon floating above the marsh from the canoes um is one of my favorite kind of memory images in my in my mind and having the stu- the students so excited about, you know, being in this new place doing a new and interesting and perhaps a little strange <laughs> activity. <laughs> that's that's very cool. It kind of brings out the kid in you, I imagine. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what, what's more fun than in a balloon and, and being in a canoe and being in a swamp? That's, that's, there couldn't be much better than that. That's, uh, yeah. that's great. <laughs> well, so is there anything that in, in your mind or in your vision that the National Wildlife Refuge Association's Urban Refuge Program could help or assist with? How can, how could we, or if not us, how could members of the public contribute to what you've got going on? Um, well, we, I'm not sure, um, in what ways, but we, um, the members of the public are super important. Um, one of the groups that I haven't mentioned is a source of a lot of our volunteers is, um, the Louisiana Master Naturalist Program. Um, so I, another, you know, we've talked about visions and seeing how things are going to work out in, in the future. Um, the Louisiana Master Nationalist Program started about five years ago, and I had no vision of what it was going to look like five years ahead and how much um, help they would provide in meeting the goals that we were setting for ourselves, you know, of having hundreds of volunteers out helping to meet certain goals of planting thousands of grass plants out in the marsh. Um, but, but definitely public groups like um, the Master Naturalists and other uh, service learning related groups, um, you know, we couldn't do these things without those folks being interested and being um, interested enough to spend a Saturday getting muddy and, you know, being out there. Um, so that's one way <laughs> people can definitely um, support and help what's going on. Um, the other do, they get, do they get in touch with you just by, by reaching out, emailing you, calling you? How can they, how can they get more involved? Um, well, what we, we have a little system for the Master Naturalist Program, but definitely people can email me if they're interested um, and, uh, or call me. But most of, most of what I do is, is uh, you know, people will send an email um, and we'll figure out the how to do things by email or talking on the phone. So, yes, that's, that's typically how we do things. So. Great. Well, Diana Maygarden is the Director of Coastal Education Programming at the University of New Orleans. And I want to thank you for being on the podcast today and for sharing your story. Is there anything I haven't asked you that you wish I would? Um, I just want to follow up real quick and say that this the refuges that are in and around New Orleans are the most amazing 
places to be able to show people that New Orleans is surrounded by water and wetlands and how important those wetlands are to the city of New Orleans and the people who live here because they protect us and provide us with incredible ecological services. And so I just wanted to add that since I haven't articulated that. Um, but other than that, I, I really appreciate the opportunity to, to speak about this. Well, thank you for taking the time. I couldn't have uh, written a better closing than that. And thanks to everybody for listening to this episode of Refuge Radio. If you'd like to join the conversation, you can email us at info at refugeassociation.org, tweet us at Refuge Wild, or comment on our Facebook page at Refuge Association. Until next time, we'll see you on the Refuge.